0: Weekly Weights, Will goes on dates And Hayes is late But we're still mates And as of late We educate and postulate About the gym I lift more than both of you combined Oh yeah, this is Weekly Weights with Alex and Will Welcome to episode 57 of Weekly Weights I'm Alex Hayes, here with Will It's just the two of us today What up? And I'm back on the show after being exiled last week
1: Yeah, you were told to go away you made yourself available and I said no sick of it so um
0: Will still hasn't apologised so I'm gonna ask for an apology on the air please can you apologise for dogging the boys last week
1: I'm sorry that you feel bad (laughs) sorry Ben (laughs) motherfucker (laughs) okay well there we go we've already hit our first explicit no I'm genuinely sorry but at the same time I'm not at all because apparently you knew you were coming home like four days before you told me and then you told me like t-minus three hours before i was due to record hey can i just come sit there and i was like nah bro it's all g
0: no i told you when i was leaving that i'd be at the most a week and wasn't sure no no you're and exact- i was back in exactly a week Were you? was it yeah, a week today? it was exactly a week oh what up good job and um you're
1: normally late so i'm actually impressed that you got that
0: right you didn't tell me what was happening with the podcast and then did you ask? found out from Chrissy when I got home. That so you I reckon I went... I wasn't
1: invited on my own podcast. So you reckon I went behind your back to get you off your own podcast?
0: No, I'm not saying that you did that, it but sounds like, like the circumstances you're... make it out as if you did that.
1: Okay. Just because I like your girlfriend's company more than I like your company doesn't mean it's personal. What you said was what you said was I'm gonna be away next week. I might be away the week after. I'll let you know didn't let me know, so I contingency planned because I wanted to make sure our podcast was up there. Got a sick episode out. People loved it. They said it was great. So if anything, you should apologize to me for inconveniencing me. Apology accepted. You're so mad. I'm not going to say sorry on air. I'll... After we record, I might say sorry, but I want everybody else to be ambiguous about it. I'm gonna video it, and put it on my story, <laughs> yeah, so
0: okay. everyone sees it. Anyway. Yeah,
1: I'll look real sad. You know, when you bust your dog doing something naughty, and they give you that look, like all the videos on YouTube. You look up naughty dogs, and it's like German shepherds sitting in the corner, like not <laughs> looking at the owners, and there's just mess all around them, and they're like, "Who did this?" And the dog keeps trying to turn away. It yeah, won't be it just, like that. It I'll it be does that all the time. I'll be brazenly unapologetic when I apologize. What's today's topic?
0: I don't know. I'm not part of this podcast.
1: Oh, yeah. Sorry. Well, the executive planning committee, that's me, (laughs) decided we were going to continue our series that some mug came up with, which was programming the X. Blank. Blank. Um, This blank is advanced. So, we did beginners and intermediates over the past few weeks. Um, I think we did one on, one off for four weeks, and then you went away unplanned. Didn't tell me. Um so we're up to advance now. <laughs> we're going to top them all off. Can we have a really quick recap, Alex? Um, what did we say, just in the shortest of terms, what did we say about beginners and intermediates and like what makes them different? Uh, so we had five, we called them attributes or characteristics. I think we called them something wrong first, but we can't even remember what it was because it was okay, so well, wrong. the
0: attributes or characteristics <laughs> yeah. that define someone's stage of where they're at with the, with regards to their powerlifting career
1: they were capabilities I think that's what you called them
0: well yeah that makes sense God,
1: Yeah, I not mean, really they all kind of
0: make sense sort of
1: sort of so they make fo- sense if you know what we're talking about already so the five
0: pillars of your strength journey and they were um, your experience in the gym so how many years you've been training so obviously for a beginner that was on the low end from zero to one and a half years and an intermediate could be anywhere from one and a half to I guess ten years of training, yeah, possibly you, forever. Yeah, possibly forever until you enter the advanced advanced stage. Um, the next one was how is their technique. So a uh, beginner lifter would make multiple mistakes, different makes different mistakes for every um, every rep they might do. So if they do a set of ten, there might be ten different ten different looking reps. Whereas an intermediate might have one or two common technical breakdowns mm. that are sort of constant throughout their lifting. Um, the next one was I guess how strong someone is, so a beginner, obviously r- very weak, intermediate less weak um we'll also spoke about. composition, yep, so a beginner would usually be someone who's skinny fat and then intermediate slightly more muscular, slightly more lean um what was the last one Comp oh, competitive, experience. competitive experience so a beginner might be <laughs> first first three competitions or maybe in first two competitions or first one competition. Um, and an intermediate lifter, I guess, however many you can do in that time period of whenever you cross over to the advanced stage.
1: So then, what? let's go back through our five characteristics, attributes, pillars. Pillars (laughs) Pillars is good because it makes even less sense than the last one. (laughs) Um, Let's go back through our five pillars then and talk about advanced lifters. So, okay, first most obvious one... um, Exposure to training, people that you would define as advanced for our purposes, how much have they had typically?
0: So I said the minimum of five years in the gym plus.
1: I think that's probably reasonable. Um,
0: And uh, five would be, you'd be very, you'd have to be very genetically gifted to, to be an advanced, quote unquote advanced after only five years in the gym.
1: Yeah. So, I mean, I don't actually think that's wrong. But I do think there are probably some people who almost get there a little bit quicker and they probably get there by virtue of being very talented or having developed a lot of the sort of base, like the base attributes that get you good even without structured powerlifting training. Yeah, this doesn't
0: have to be this. I'm not saying five years of powerlifting training. I'm saying five years in the gym.
1: Yeah, like in that case, definitely. If
0: your first three years was training for... Bodybuilding. Yep. That still counts as gym experience.
1: Yeah, Okay. In that case, yeah, agreed. So, training experience. So, you've been exposed for a long time, consistent.
0: At least five years, probably more like
1: 10. Structured twice. training. Yep. Like consistent structured training. Yep. yep. Sure. Um, what was the next one? Uh, technique. Technique. So, technique, advanced people. So,
0: um, generally, we're going to be at the higher end of technique. We're going to have um, a technique that's extremely solidified. And if there are mistakes, they're going to be. Always the same mistakes.
1: Yeah, so I think as what we said about like beginners having inconsistent and unpredictable errors, like the amount of times my beginners are doing a set of squats and I'll say, whoa, like, whoa, <laughs> almost involuntarily because I'll just do something completely different as opposed to an intermediate is many more. An intermediate, yeah, you tend to see a couple of errors that are either consistent or load dependent and then the more advanced people get, I tend to see them make errors that are either like load or fatigue dependent so it's like most of the time they'll execute a lift in a way that is close to their optimal technique or close to at least their normal technique in inverted commas with deviations that only happen when they fuck it up just for no reason whatsoever or they're very very tired or it's very very heavy all you know? those deviations happen when they're doing a
0: particular exercise to highlight that Yes. particular problem that they might have
1: yeah but for the most part you see a lot of reps with a lot of consistency and very minor deviations yeah agree yeah uh,
0: body composition um, they're going to be very well developed muscularly um, towards getting close to their genetic potential as far as how much mass they
1: can have on their frame yeah I'd say typically true like it's rare that somebody gets to be very very good at lifting in absolute terms without having a lot of their muscle unless they're like right at the top end
0: of a weight class for instance and you know, gaining muscle for them might take them away from their weight class. Yeah. Um, and body composition, they're going to be, you know, relatively lean. And, you know, generally they will be at the top of whatever weight class they do compete.
1: Yeah. Shout out to my client JP who off air Alex was saying is really fat. <laughs> um, I've just messaged him. <laughs> <laughs> I've just messaged him send topless pics. So I'll confirm whether or not he's fat, but he's a good lifter.
0: Send nudes. Have you seen those? Send nudes um, jumpers. No. It's like like noodles, n double noodles.
1: Oh, that's cute. That's good. I might buy one for <laughs> JP. <laughs> yeah, okay, that's good. So so body composition tends to be good. Absolute strength. Okay, this is probably the most important one in a lot of ways, I think. Um absolute strength will be good. What do you think? Yeah, very high. Yeah, typically good. Um yeah, I, so the
0: the way that like the way that I look at an, an advanced lifter, um, they have to sort of be very high end of at least three of these five capabilities or whatever we're calling them attributes yeah Um, and you'll never you'll never see someone at the top of the sport who is sort of lacking in two or more of these areas and I think it's really noticeable when you go and watch like IPF Worlds or or whatever like all the lifters there they lift they lift with good technique they lift they're really jacked they've been doing it for 10 years etc and they are really really
1: strong Yeah. Um, And then the final one is comp experience. So, obviously, with that much exposure to powerlifting training, you tend to get a few comps under your belt. And typically, what starts to differentiate the people who are like actually world-class from people who are just like advanced strength athletes is that they get very good at expressing their best performances on the platform.
0: Yeah. And also, they they might just take better attempts. Yeah. Well, exactly. And just make more lifts on the platform.
1: Yeah. And even um, if you cast your mind back to when we were speaking to Bryce Lewis, say... On the podcast, this is somebody who's plainly an advanced strength athlete, really good near the top of his game. Um, but part of the skill of him becoming, you know, a like world champion level powerlifter was figuring out how to actually bring that all together on the day on the platform, and that's something that takes a lot of time and particular, partic- particularly, particularly, really, when. When you are so good, again, think. Sorry, yeah, when you're that good, very small deviations in how you feel on the day can have a very material impact in how much weight you can lift because if you if you deadlift 300 kilos, say, and you're off by 3%, that's 9 kilos, right? So learning to peak correctly and learning to also choose your attempts very correctly and precisely is very important. I'm impressed with that math, Will. Was I correct? Mm. 3%, 300 kilos, mm. yep. Um. So... Th- the thing that I think actually ties together all this stuff in how... Or in my mind, how I define advanced lifters, um, particularly with reference to absolute strength, is is that most of the easy marginal returns on their strength training are basically exhausted. So, there's no... You don't look at advanced lifters typically and go, oh, if they just did blah, they'd get way better. Um, and so, there might be times where people without like world-class levels of absolute strength, you still look at them and you go, there's no real like glaring problem with what they're doing. They're not under muscle. Their technique's reasonably good. They're just only X strong. At that point, I might start to think of programming for them in similar terms to how I think of these advanced people, unless something becomes apparent down the line, which it might. But typically with these people who are truly advanced, you don't look at them and go, that's an easy hole plug that up they'll get better or wow they're so good at this and they could easily just get better at that and then that would make them better you don't see that you really see a relatively complete package with only a little bit of roughage on it and you've got to still try and improve that person what do you reckon
0: yeah i agree it's it's almost like you have to work work harder for every little kilo or every little level up in any of these sort of um attributes it's we, like we a- call
1: them um pillars actually right here alex yeah <laughs>
0: capabilities. Yeah. It's almost like it's almost like a, a video game. Like when you get to a certain level like in a
1: You're thinking about Tetris. No, I'm not. Shout out, about... Alex is really no, good not, at Tetris. I'm actually not talking about Tetris But Tetris, you are good at it.
0: But Tetris kind of like flats out, flattens out with the speed once you get past like level 50. It Does doesn't it? get any harder.
1: So, you know a guy actually beat Tetris blindfolded?
0: How is that possible?
1: I have absolutely no Can't idea. See what the next block is, did guys. Tell him? Hmm?
0: So did he have someone next to him telling him what the block
1: was? I don't like? think so. But there's, it's like up there. You know the idea of speed running in video games, like um, you try and beat games as quickly as possible. And then there's different categories of like how many cheats and glitches and things you're allowed in a given game because they want to like reward skill runs. And so people finish games really quickly. And there's a whole community of people who try and figure out like how to beat Super Mario or something as fast as they can. Well, if you look up like great video game achievements, there's like people nailing good speed runs and then there's just some dude beating Tetris blindfolded. And there's people beating other video games blindfolded where you can actually like anticipate what's coming. And it's like a it's just a sub community like of people. Space Invaders or something? Yeah, like Space Invaders where there's a sub community of people who are like I'm gonna I'm gonna beat like Mike Tyson's punch out is one, I think that's what it's called. It's like a boxing game and there's like ten or twelve fights you gotta do before you beat Mike Tyson. And all of them have different patterns of attack, so if you know exactly what to do, you could theoretically beat them blindfolded if you get a bit lucky. But Tetris is random. Well, I don't know. Someone beat it blindfolded. That's he must,
0: he must have someone next to him telling him what the next block is. Because I could definitely do that.
1: But <laughs> But the thing 100% is I could you do reckon it. you could do yeah, it? Yeah, definitely. That's if, ha- if you
0: sat next to me and told me what the next block was, I'd be able to like get a hundred <laughs> lines I reckon maybe.
1: that could be the first weekly it's YouTube video is <laughs> like, Alex beats tendered Blind Tetris blindfolded will demonstrates good coaching <laughs> <laughs> but yeah there's heaps of games people have been blindfolded anyway, anyway we're talking about advanced back to my lifters. analogy like, okay, it's like beating Tetris blindfolded like, no
0: like look at like um, look at like Pokemon for instance like when you're at a really low level like anything gets you better just like in lifting
1: yeah catch a Rattata bam your team's better
0: yeah or like that developing that particular Rattata like yeah. really easy you just fight a couple caterpies in the in the grass like, Viridian Forest
1: is what you're thinking about yeah that's the one
0: <laughs> and when you get when you get up into like the level fifty, level sixty, it becomes a lot harder to get those like to get those little marginal returns. Yeah, Victory and Road, to, no caterpillar on you Victory have to, Road. Like you have to battle better things, so you have to do harder things in training and spend more time on certain particular aspects of training yeah. to get just a little bit better.
1: Yes, I agree. I also love Pokemon, so that was Pokemon's like Pokemon's great. It was really good. Um, never liked Pokemon Go.
0: No, I never played it. Never yeah. downloaded it ever.
1: I tried the day it came out I tried playing it like I took Digby for a walk and was playing Pokemon Go and he was getting so pissed at me stopping all the time to try and like catch a Zubat and stuff and I realised it sucked and you can't fight people anyway
0: Zubats are the worst Pokemon
1: on the, on, on the entire game They, I reckon they're the most resented I don't know that they're the worst but they are bloody annoying they're useless uh, yeah they're pretty useless but like you can use them there's a nice uh, whatever let's shout out
0: also shout out to Brandon because yeah. I just told him to get his steps up because he's super unfit and he's like struggling through his, his volume. So I said, you know, get a little bit of extra um, activity in during the day. Yeah. And he downloaded Pokemon Go to get his steps in.
1: Yeah, he told me. He was really hype on that idea. <laughs> and then he asked me if I wanted to go halves on some booster packs of Pokemon cards and do like unboxings together where we open them and see what we get. I said, why on earth would I want to do that ever? <laughs> Shiny Charizard, cool. Yeah, that is pretty cool. Actually, if I wanted them, I'd be stoked. So, <laughs> So, yes, you're right. More advanced people need to fight more powerful Pokemon. Um, <laughs> okay, so we've done some type of defining what an advanced lifter is. So if you look at them... Oh, actually, sorry. A couple of other things I wrote down. Advanced people, this, is, this isn't this is part of the definition, but this is also just like a part of the operating reality. Oftentimes, when people have been exposed to that much hard training, they also start to have some injuries and limitations in how they can train. Um, yeah. As a beginner, often you get people who are a relative blank slate. You might also have somebody walk in with an injury that they got prior to lifting. But if you give somebody 10 years of really hard powerlifting training, oftentimes they just pick up a couple of niggles here and there, and that can inform how much training they can tolerate, particularly in certain movements. So that's just something that you're often going to have to consider. Um, But they'll also, on on the flip side and maybe on the plus side, usually be quite aware of what types of things they can do without injuries. They might say, hey, like, you know, my back flares up when i squat too soon after a hard deadlift session. Whatever it happens to yeah, me, we have a decade
0: of de- or a decade plus of data that we can use at our disposal to help us
1: you know facilitate further improvement. Yeah, exactly. But you but by that stage you do typically have a couple of injuries on niggles or something coming up. They're not a blank slate. They've got 10 years under the belt. And then the other thing i wanted to mention um was the difference between what we would call an advanced powerlifter and an advanced general gym goer or an advanced like general just strength and bodybuilding trainee. Um, In the early stages I think there's a lot more overlap. Like an intermediate powerlifter in a lot of ways is going to resemble an intermediate maybe advanced or I mean an advanced general gym goer who doesn't give a shit about anything but like an intermediate powerlifter has a lot of overlap with intermediate you know amateur bodybuilders or like or like recreational bodybuilders, they're going to be you know moderately strong, they're going to have reasonably good body composition and stuff, but at the advanced level, there's a lot more divergence, so the things that, like for instance, the absolute strength levels that you would expect of an advanced powerlifter are really, really high, like very unreasonably high for somebody who's not interested in powerlifting, almost always, and much higher than you would expect for somebody who is purely interested in bodybuilding and body composition, unless they've dabbled in powerlifting and happen to be talented at it. And that's not to take away from their experience necessarily, but the, the standards that we might apply to the powerlifters aren't the same at all for them. What yeah, and a good that? example of this is if, this is if you look at like um,
0: IFBB bodybuilders training, for instance. Yeah. Like so, some of them will do deadlifts with like four or five plates. Yeah. And, you know, we, we see powerlifters who are, who, you know, sometimes even female powerlifters who are 70, 80 kilos who can deadlift those same numbers.
1: Yeah. Um. So obviously there's a massive divergence there, but at the same time we don't hold powerlifters to the same level of like muscularity and leanness as yeah, we do like them
0: symmetry and all that kind of stuff. Yeah,
1: but the the reason that might be a little bit important is because where that divergence occurs in the intermediate years also informs a lot of their training history, and so um, you're looking for here we go. Oh, oh sorry, we've just had a Diet Coke spillage in the weekly weights recording studio, Alex. No wonder I didn't invite you back here last week. I'm so glad you, you went. here. You dropped it, Butterfingers. <laughs> um, oh, no, I've dropped it again. <laughs> you just missed it. Oh, it's everywhere, guys. Um, what I was saying is that divergence occurs um, occurs during their training career, right? And so, so somewhere in there, there's been plenty of water under the bridge. They spent a lot of time building strength. They might not necessarily have accumulated all the volume that gets them heaps of size, um, and they may not have as much experience in those movements and things, but also they're going to be much, much more adapted to powerlifting training. So you might be able to use some of these general concepts in viewing very advanced bodybuilders, but that's a completely different need set at that level of bodybuilding development. It's very, very hypertrophy specific, whereas what we're talking about is very, very powerlifting specific. Mm-hmm. You impressed that I was able to do that whilst like cleaning up all the coke and picking it up with my feet? and
0: Nothing spilled. And you're the one who dropped it.
1: Doesn't matter. I made the mess twice. (laughs) I made the mess. I cleaned it up. It's exactly like my approach to fighting Alex. You know, like when I start fights, I finish them. I'm saying. (laughs) I've never never been in a fight fight in my life. life. (laughs) You know why? Because I'm a legend. Nobody wants to. (laughs) They look at me and they go, "Why would I punch that guy? He seems delightful." (laughs) (laughs) And that's how you know they don't know me. (laughs) All right. Um, So, how much training do advanced people need? Well,
0: when we look at this, we need to um, compare it to how much a beginner needs and how much a intermediate needs. And the, the, I guess, simple answer is it's going to be more, but it's also going to be closer to what their actual capability or tolerance is. So if they have like a maximum recoverable volume of, say, 20 sets per week, they might need to be you know in the 16-18 range for for 14-16-18 range for a lot of their loading weeks whereas a beginner might need you know 4 to 8 and an intermediate might need 10 to 14 for instance
1: i tend to agree and the other thing i think about is um and i alluded to this at the end of the intermediate podcast um another thing i tend to think about is that they just need more area under the curve in general for training so it's not just How much training do they need on a daily basis? Because sometimes they can't handle that much more or more at all than intermediates. But how much exposure to training do they need to get better? Lots. Because, like we said, there's no easy marginal returns. When somebody's nearly maxed out their muscularity, they don't make noticeable increases in muscularity in two weeks or a month. They do it over the course of six months, say. And likewise for strength and likewise for anything else that they do. So... They need a lot more prolonged exposure to training to get better, and because the training that they do is very taxing, you know. Because say squatting three hundred kilos is harder than squatting a hundred kilos. Um, oftentimes, they also need more recovery built in and more undulation and things. And so, if you look at somebody who, say, you know their heaviest squat sets are all at three hundred kilos and they can only handle doing that once every week, um, as opposed to somebody who can who can be exposed to 100 kilo squats two or three times a week um, because they're spaced out more and you need more of those exposures to heavy weights to actually promote an adaptation because they're already so well adapted, the time scale on which they get better just gets longer and longer. Yeah. Right?
0: So the length of the cycle of whatever focus that particular cycle is is going to be longer. Yeah, absolutely. So in order to improve body composition by <coughs> 5%, it might take six to nine months. Exactly. Or in order to improve hypertrophy by two percent it might take six to nine months So these are things we have to look at when we plan the year and this is exactly why we need to prioritize probably one competition a year for an advanced lifter and program the entire year's training around like being the best we can for that particular one competition
1: yeah so to answer how much training do they need probably more on a daily well, definitely more on a daily basis than beginners probably similar to more on a daily basis to intermediates like subject to their recovery but actual overloading sessions might need to be spaced more and the time scale uh, like on which they are exposed to training needs to be more that's what i think so more with the idea that you're expecting less from more and sometimes you have to space it more to do more yeah
0: so in order to get (laughs) got more to say on that yeah well i mean in order to get one percent better it might take six months yes but for a beginner it might take six months they might get 10 or 15 percent better or more 50 yeah, or more
1: um man we said more a lot then okay so that's how much training and tied into that which i've sort of started to answer as well as how heavy does the training have to be um let's talk about how heavy that's a, such a broad question how heavy does training have to be for an advanced athlete
0: um there's going to be a, a broader range of um Loading, I believe, so that we're gonna we're gonna have periods of time where we, um, use 40%, and there's gonna be periods of time where we use 90%. Um, whereas a beginner, we probably would never use 40%, because you know the load for them that 40% is just um, it's so light it's 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 nothing for them. Whereas there might be a period of time in the advanced lifter where they're doing they're recovering from competition and they're you know doing sets of ten. And 40% might be all that they can handle, all that they need to facilitate that recovery and sort of get them into the next phase. So how heavy is going to be very largely dependent on what the uh, focus of that particular goal is, that particular, sorry, block is. Um, And there's going to be a broader range of sort of um, undulation between heavy work and light work to facilitate recovery. There's going to be a broader gap between the weights that we use for volume and the weights that we use um, in a competition peak. Um, and a lot of that is to do with how technically proficient that lifter is under competition conditions. So if you were to give um, a 400-kilo squatter a belt, a low bar, etc., cetera, um, knee sleeves, low bar, cool competition squat, they're going to get more out of that gear than a beginner would because they, they know how to use it. They're really honed into that technique. That technique is really, really solidified there's going to be a bigger gap between when they go beltless hyper Mm. than someone who's a beginner. So those undulations between sort of, I guess, accessory work and main work is going to be greater.
1: I like everything that you said just then, Um, and I agree. I like the thing that I liked that you said most was the variation in how heavy things are both within and between phases. So, just like I said, about how much training can somebody tolerate um you know their heavy sessions often have to be quite hard, and any heavy session when you're really strong is more taxing than a heavy session when you're less strong, so that's important but between those heavier sessions, you need more undulation to facilitate recovery because the stress you've been exposed to is more so I, I like that you said that, and the same thing is true between phases for the reasons that you said you were saying something about um about volume work and here is exactly what I was thinking of. So you were just talking about, um, you know, belt sleeves, low bar squatting for volume as opposed to beltless sleeveless high bar. And one of the things you said was um, that, that, you know, a really strong squatter could just chew through like really, really heavy loads and in order to facilitate them reducing the loads, or not in order to, but like by going beltless high bar, you can broaden the gap between their competition loading and the load that they're doing volume with one of the reasons that i think that becomes more important for advanced lifters as well and this is another reason why phasic structure in general is so important for them is just because it reduces that systemic stress and one of the realities yeah, of yeah and
0: that's exactly the reason why you can you know still get an effective session out of 30 or 40% once you are at that level
1: yeah i think the well there's a couple of reasons why you can do that i'll touch on as well after this but the total amount of systemic stress from lifting really heavy for these people is much higher um, and your recovery doesn't necessarily increase commensurately with how much stress you're able to impose with that level of strength which is why undulation within phases is important and it's why phasic structure is important because you build in recovery and things, well, it's one of the reasons phasic structure is important um, the other reason that doing say 30 or 40% work is important actually there's two more reasons that are coming to mind but the first one um that i think is important is because when you have compound movements like say the low bar squat um there's multiple like there's multiple muscular systems at play and there's um and you know the movement pattern is complex enough that where you have a little bit of breakdown in one muscle so say you're doing squats to try and improve your leg strength when your legs start to give out You can shift a bit of weight to your hips, your back, and take a little bit of extra load and all that to help you muscle through more work. And when you're an advanced, like when you're a more advanced athlete, subjecting yourself to more loads that's potentially injurious, um, which is not good. And you might degrade the motor pattern, and that's not good. And you might accumulate extra fatigue, and that's not good. But the advantage of being able to do, say, high bar squats beltless with you know forty percent of your comp one RM for tens is that you may be able to do them right until the point where your knee extensors are hitting fatigue without actually taking the rest of that system anywhere near close to failure. Um, And that means that not only do you get more targeted stimulus for less of that systemic stress, which would impact on the overall amount of training that you can sustain, so it means you can get more of that work done, so more area under the curve with fewer sessions and less recovery spaced in. Um, You can do that more elegantly, and you also give them a bit of a break from the monotony of really heavy loading, And monotony of training loading is also something that Bryce um, Lewis, our old guest, has written about a couple of times. Um, Too much monotony of loading can be psychologically really hard for athletes to deal with. Um, And there's there's probably something to be said for the freshness there. So it takes away a bit of psychological stress, takes away a lot of physiological stress, and still allows you to have targeted stress to one muscular system without that sort of carryover fatigue to other muscular systems that then just get you more tired for not much benefit.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I completely agree there. Um and I think it's really important that you mention the mental aspect of that heavy loading. Um if you know for instance that you do your heavy sorry. You do your heavy squats on a Monday and your Thursday squat session, you know it's going to be lighter. You can really put everything into that Monday knowing that, you know, you're not going to have to have that same stress on your body, on all your joints until the next Monday. Whereas if you have to hit a heavy load on Monday and on Thursday you're you know you might not give it that same effort
1: knowing that you have to do it all again on the Thursday yeah I think that's true and so anyway I think balancing heavy and light work is important but how heavy let's more talk like in preparation for competition so we've said that like you know phases a long way from comp there's probably something to be said for training light and probably something to be said for doing a bit less specific stuff for a couple of reasons but closer to competition um How heavy relative to, say, you know, 1RMs or, like, third attempts do you expect to see advanced lifters go in the lifts? Um, How much variance do you reckon there is in that too?
0: As far as, like, one advanced lift to the next
1: or...? Yeah, well, okay. Well, as a generalisation, how heavy relative to their heaviest lifts do you think they tend to need to go in any old lift? And then how much variance do we see between lifts and lifters? Um, I think the bench press you can get away with going the heaviest. Mm.
0: Um, smallest muscle groups smallest range of motion uh, requires the less recovery and produces the less fatigue the least fatigue on the system Mm. so I think you can go all the way up to very close to a third attempt and that applies to advanced lifts as well Um, the squat you're probably looking at up to or just above a second attempt and the deadlift just below or sometimes even as light as an opener
1: yeah so I think that would be the... That would be, like, the general rule that I would apply for nearly everyone. Um, where I think that tends to differ with more advanced lifters is I may... This... And again, this is why I asked for a variation lift of the lifter. I might err towards slightly lighter and slightly further from comp for the heaviest lifts for the same reason that, like, say, we tend to go lighter on the deadlift or one of the same reasons is because the, like, the lift is more taxing. Um... So I know, for instance, that Chad Smith um, tended to squat much lighter in training than he ever did in competition, because he got a lot out of a peak, and the the return on the stress that he would invest in lifting really heavy in training wasn't wasn't enough to justify it. There are other lifters, though, like Jezu Wepper, who squats ridiculously heavy in training, like as heavy or heavier than he does in comp half the time, and like three days out, he's... Yeah, mostly heavier. Mostly heavier. That might be a problem with his peaking strategy. Well, maybe, but but again, he's one of the best in the world, and he's been doing it for ages. And you know, and he seems to do okay. Um, so I think there is some inter-individual variance, and that's probably got to do with things like his athlete, like the disposition of him, what other stress he has, and his technique and stuff like that too. So you know, um, I'm sure there's reasons there's variance, but typically, I would think they probably don't need to go quite as heavy in absolute terms, and it's more taxing to do it than you would. With other people, and they may need a slightly longer taper, but that's not always the case. And where those differences tend to emerge, like again, if you've got 10 years of data indicating to you that actually you can handle pretty heavy loading and relatively closer to comp, then you've probably experimented with it and found that that tends to be the case as well. But you'll probably see slightly more individualized peaking strategies um, as people get more advanced because they've just tried more stuff. So they tend to be like, oh, yeah, this tends to work. And you also know that when people are good at something, like, their ability to be good at it doesn't go away as quickly. Like, this is kind of bro science but... That's completely true, though. Yeah, it's true. Like, if you just know how to squat, you just know how to squat. So, so long as you come in relatively fresh and ready to squat, you're still probably going to squat okay. So, there's something to be said for not, like, not going full pedal to the metal all the time with people who just know how to do the lifts. You do enough to have them prepared, and you don't trade off too much on getting them really extra tired. Um... But yeah, I, so I, I would err slightly to more towards the more conservative of that. And likewise, if you have somebody who's like the mega bench king, like I bet Kirill Sarashev tapers his bench for longer than longer than average and doesn't go all the way up to a third in training because he benches like three thirty. Mm-hmm. You know, one hundred percent. But I don't know, Daiki Kadama or whatever probably benches like two hundred in training. Did you see
0: his bench the other day?
1: No, what did he, he do? Two twenty five in comp at seventy four. You're kidding? What? Um, raw. Yeah. In comp Yeah Touch and go In comp Slingshot I'll show you Actually That's crazy Alright I'm going to watch that Um, Possibly off air Do you want to take a break Or do you want to Yeah let's take a break Alright we're going to take a break We're going to look at some cool bench Chat to you soon
0: Weekly weights Welcome back 57 Weekly weights Programming the advanced lifter Alex Hayes.
1: I can't believe we named the podcast after something that kind of rhymes with your name and not something that rhymes with mine. This could have been Will Berkman and Bill's Workman. It could have been, I don't know, um, I was going to say something really, I was going to say it could have been jerkin' the Gherkin with Berkman, but that would have been, that could have been a different podcast about like, cook. cooking. <laughs> yeah, well yeah, sure, cooking. A cooking show. <laughs> <laughs> just lurking with Berkman where we just sit here and sort of whisper quietly like there's people around us.
0: Twerking We're... with Berkman? Could be a dance show.
1: Yeah, that could be good. Can't out the Berk. Music videos. I can't wait till I'm on Dancing with the Stars and they say, you know, I made my name on Weekly Weights just chatting shit about <laughs> about the sport the fewest people care about. Shout out to medieval jousting, which is actually the sport that the fewest people care about. I was at lunch with Dad the other day
0: How's that how do you know that fact?
1: It's how many people do you know that do medieval jousting?
0: But I'm sure medieval jousting people who run medieval jousting podcasts are like what's powerlifting.
1: Well, let me tell you. <laughs> Dad shared an office space with a guy, right, who was an accountant. Um he had his own little accounting firm and then he um he's now got like 80 staff working for him. So he's killing the game. But um but he walked past when we were at lunch and apparently he's like the head of the Medieval Jousting Association in Australia um, and he's big into it and they all wear their suits of armour you've got to wear a suit of armour and a horse and they've got like safety regulations about like how the lances and stuff work now because it used to be you like, had to try and unseat your opponent and it's a bit dangerous and like you're getting bashed in the chest with wood whereas now they just you know it's all dress up and make believe how many members? probably about two <laughs> it's just, just him and he's got a dummy sitting on the other horse like a mannequin running at him <laughs> do you remember a knight's tale with keith ledger this is the most off topic i've ever been it's because I i've had two weeks of not being able to annoy my cousin my sister co-host.
0: had the the uh, poster for that movie in her bedroom but so i i never saw it
1: great film william thatcher that's that's his name heath ledger thatcher. In the movie thatcher because he's son of a thatcher thatcher's somebody who makes roofs There you go, Alex. There's another thing you've learnt. Are you thrilled to be back? You're happy, aren't you? (laughs) Sigh. I reckon this will be one of our longest episodes. We've been on topic for all of three minutes total. What do you reckon? Should we get back to topic? Yeah, why don't we get back to topic? I'm I'm done for the moment. I'll think of some more stuff soon. Uh, mm. The next question was frequency. Frequency. That's not a question, but it's it's a topic that's like the so, stimulus
0: so how would you how would you structure frequency differently from an advanced to an intermediate lifter um and I'm asking you this because I probably wouldn't change too much as with regards to how often we hit a muscle group or how often we hit a lift um I think that where it changes is in those phases close to competition and very far away from competition we're going to go at either end of the of the frequency spectrum with regards to the variation that we choose and what i mean by that is when we are approaching competition these advanced lifters will generally require um, more frequent doses of the actual main lift to get them ready for the platform um, and for the furthest point away from the competition, they probably need to take a break away from the exact main lift and the frequency of that main lift might decrease. So the, they'll still be doing their squat, their press and their deadlift variation, but they're going to be a
1: non-competition variant. I don't think there's much reason to change the frequency of yeah of like exposure to a muscle group between advanced people and intermediates, I do think there's reason to change the frequency of hard sessions for the reason that we yeah. said. So you might go from like two equal doses to one hard, one easy in a week. Yeah. Um, I do think that as competition approaches, there's a narrower band of things that will actually transfer for them. So they'll probably need to regress more towards doing the main lifts and very close variations, and they'll probably need to do that for slightly longer leading into comp. And I also think that because the amount of stress per unit of work they do is higher, that also just leaves less room for more general work. So I think for that reason, you might see a greater preponderance of the main lift work in the last few weeks or month or two leading into comp. So I think that's true, but I don't think that that necessarily entails squatting more times, say, than an intermediate would squat. Um, That's exactly what I said, though you think they should squat no, more no, times no no I'm saying they shouldn't yeah well in that case I agree yeah. Um, I yeah and I also think that when like they may find some benefit from higher frequency approaches in the same way that they might find benefit from lower frequency approaches if it just helps them manage fatigue and get the right amount of work done but when they do go to higher frequency approaches again like we've said before there needs to be more undulation um, yeah you have to manage the variables a little bit closer yeah manage the variables closer but that doesn't necessarily mean I would favor higher frequencies and exactly like you said, further away from comp, actually getting away from the main lifts and doing a large amount of work that are away from those patterns is probably good both for their physical and mental health. Um, and they can probably sustain a lower frequency of exposure per muscle group in those off period times than beginners, both because each thing that they do is going to be a slightly more stressful bout, so they need more recovery. Um Actually, that's I said both because... But I forgot the second one. So I'm going to say that's that's the main reason. But that doesn't, again, necessarily mean that they should. Because they can train pressing twice a week, but just include very, very little barbell bench pressing. I'm still all good with that a long way from competition. But yeah, as things come in, I don't think there should be much difference. It should just be manage the other variables. Agree. Right. Um, where, Here's just a... Because I honestly have no idea myself. And that's the best. That's the best topics to talk about on the podcast. Um. <laughs> just, just to embarrass ourselves. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. Cover your ears for the next minute. Um, with a more advanced person, when would you actually tend towards trying, say, a really high frequency approach, or tend towards pulling back on the frequency that they're exposed to the main lifts? I find the second one easier to think about than the first. Yeah, pulling
0: back is is obvious when they have some sort of a niggle that sort of. Um, restricts their ability to get through a lot of work very frequently Mm -hmm. or it might be that their squat gives them some issue with their hip which makes it hard for them to perform their deadlift variation, their competition variation so you have to space them out and then therefore you can only squat once. Mm -hmm. Um, But as far as adding frequency goes, I think that can be a great thing to use close to a competition in just honing that skill and you have to be careful about um, how you do it, you have to sort of ask them questions like how are you feeling on Monday when you have to do your heavy squat. And if they always consider every single week, they're saying they're great and they're fresh, they're ready to go, you might be able to throw in that third dosage somewhere in the middle of the week as long as it's you know loaded light enough that it's probably not going to change too much and then you can slowly add into that particular added dosage.
1: Yeah, but typically um, typically when we say like honing the skill of the lift, oftentimes these people are the people who like they're really good at the lift. So you, like, you're like you not going to overtly see them being like rusty at squats once like if they're squatting, they know how to squat. So so I sometimes find like I find it hard to think I'm going to add it so that they get better at squatting because I presume at this point that they're good at squatting. Um, but while you were talking, I was thinking and so... For Instance JP, shout out JP, he gets a shout out every week. He apparently is fat, he still hasn't sent me the topless pics, by the way. It's definitely um, too embarrassed, he's finding good lighting in the gym somewhere, <laughs> yeah. Maybe, um, <laughs> the fort's not Paragon, man. He didn't make it to look good <laughs> topless for Instagram. <laughs> shout out Nick Cheadle, <laughs> so um, he definitely doesn't listen. Nick, absolutely no not. He's a busy man, he's too busy taking his topless pictures in Paragon. Shout out Nick, way too cool for us, yeah, definitely. Um but JP, for instance, has spent a long time recently doing his competition squat once a week. He's a good squatter. Like he squatted national record at last Open Nationals, and then got immediately destroyed in the national record. So like he's a good squatter. He's been squatting competition style once a week and doing like high bar squats on the other day. And high bars tend to transfer well to his low bar, so it doesn't really matter. Um, and going into his peak, one of the things I real like, one of the things I was thinking about with him was that he he tends to find that even relatively light weights help like help him get through quality squat work like he feels like they're stimulative and they're good and he can focus on lifting the weights fast in the like one seventy to two hundred kilo range even though he's like a two fifty ish squatter um and so in order to preserve the quality of work that he was doing in those sets. While he was doing some heavier work on his other ones, I've given him an additional competition squatting day. So he's now squatting three times with the third day being really easy high bars. So he gets a similar amount of squat volume across the week, but it was just trying to preserve the quality. I think if, it, if I had somebody who they didn't seem to, f- like they didn't feel like, and they didn't like didn't have a history of finding slightly easy squats productive, I wouldn't be as inclined to split it and give them more easy work. I would consolidate it into harder sessions. Like I'd have hard sessions, then have easy sessions where they might still do the low bar squat where they're easy just so they recover for another hard one. Does that make
0: sense? Yeah, 100% that makes sense. I think it's important to note with an advanced lifter there is we're trying to get every kilo we can. Mm. So if we can add in three extra sets on a different day of a main lift that we think might help and not hinder any, uh, not create too much fatigue for the heaviest loaded days then
1: like why wouldn't we yeah but again the that's the hard thing to balance though is like how much work do you need per session to make it hard enough to actually be beneficial yeah and like we said earlier we
0: it needs to be quite close to what the limit is with Mm. with lifters of this caliber yeah so if they are reporting that they're recovering really well and they feel fresh for their heavy sessions then maybe they can do more
1: yeah. But again I don't know that each session needs to be close to the limit. That's why I'm saying this is a hard question no, no, for me to total, grapple. with. The total yeah the total the work workload needs to, needs, be to be,
0: needs to be close. And if they're always reporting that they're fresh, the workload's probably not close yeah. to that limit.
1: Yeah, if you're not seeing some variations in their like preparedness week to week, then you might be like, Oh, this is a pretty yeah. easy training dose. Yeah, that's right. Which can be fine. Sometimes you don't want to be really pushing people. Or sometimes you only want to push one or two lifts yeah. at a time, that's fine too. That's but, another discussion. Yeah, but there might be um there might be warrant in merit. just merit. It that's, might that's be awesome. warranted.
0: It might be warranted to add in that extra dose. Have you thought of just getting Grammarly? You know Grammarly, that app they
1: do have ads for on YouTube? I seem to do a lot better um, with the written. Do you? Yeah. That's funny. Um, I don't know. I just I open my mouth, open my heart, and just whatever pours out, pours out. And you've, often it's fucking nonsense. You've read a lot more books than me, Will. I have read a lot of books. Um God knows what I could have done infinity. if I'd just gone outside as a child. Infinity to zero. <laughs> yeah. Um <laughs> Infinity. Oh man. Okay, well that was a good talk about frequency. What about variations? So again, we've sorta of spoken a little bit about that. Um How does your approach to using variations differ for an advanced lifter as opposed to an intermediate lifter?
0: Well, it goes back to what we were talking about earlier with um, it being phase dependent. And I think variations can can serve um, great purposes with, um, as far as avoiding systemic fatigue and loading particular muscles in relation to systems. Um, It can provide us with like a recovery block where we might go completely away from the competition lifts. Um, it can c- provide us with some sort of weakness training or overload training or whatever the case is. So I think it goes back to what is the goal of the block and then implementing the sort of the lift comes last in that instance, almost it's like the, the accessory fits the, the broader system.
1: Yeah. I I agree with all of that in premise. I, um I don't think that that, that's not actually that different from how we think about intermediates either. To be honest, it's just on maybe slightly longer timescales, yeah, and that, like, that, that's that's the that's the big thing that jumps out to me is the the time frame. Yeah, because yeah, for instance, you I don't know you might not be alternating like non-specific work and specific work very close to each other in the same phase with advanced lifters as often. You have phases that might be entirely non-specific or yeah, very there's, non-specific.
0: There's less overlap in terms of goals for that particular cycle. Yeah. And the trade offs. I guess is a good way good way of putting it. Like you might have a block that is dedicated to body composition or a block that is dedicated to recovery. Block that is dedicated to work capacity. Yeah. And you're not going to put any strength work in any of those blocks, for instance.
1: Yeah. Um
0: whereas as an intermediate you might be able to get away with trying to build two or three qualities at once.
1: Yeah. And there's a trade off to trying to do anything in general. Um like there's opportunity <laughs> yeah so you might as well do nothing no as in there's an op- no there's an opportunity cost associated with doing any given thing and so um so again it just comes back to the amount of stimulus and stress that you get so like as in if you do strength work it's tiring right so you can't do as much conditioning work and a lot of strength work together right when you're an intermediate you might have enough you might have enough room in your recovery pool to do some strength work and have some conditioning or hypertrophy running pretty much concurrently, and you can deal with doing enough of both to get better at both to a degree, and you might just shift the balance between one and the other. And for 99% of people, for 99% of their training career, that's fine. But that Um, goes back to what we spoke about earlier with how far you have to push them mm -hmm. in regards to what they're capable of. Well, that's exactly my point. So advanced lifters during strength blocks don't really have a whole lot of time or room left over to go fucking push a sled. It's Mm -hmm. just hard. Um, And... I did have something before. I was so rudely interrupted.
0: Well, you kicked me off my own podcast, so you can eat it. Yeah. Shit. Well,
1: why do you reckon I did? Because every time I'm on a roll, you just jump in and say, "Oh, read another book." Oh, you got a big nose. Oh, yeah, shit, bench. <laughs> I've
0: never said you had a big nose in the podcast. <laughs> on the podcast,
1: that is weasel words. <laughs> every, every time we take a break, you go, "Hey, big nose." I gotta go to the bathroom. Does Berkman mean big nose? Um, I think it might be. It might be Polish for big nose. Yeah, <laughs> probably. Big nosed, noble. Um, <laughs> I had something to say. This is really pissing me off now. So, blah, blah, blah. Recovery Ro- room pool.
0: Left, room left in the recovery tank. Blah, blah, blah. Stuff. Oh,
1: yes. It is kind of a parallel for the way you might look at phases generally as well. Um, so, so, if you think to just like general training that you do for most people who are intermediates in powerlifting, during a strength block, say they'll still have some work that is kind of hypertrophy work that's relatively general, right? But as the peak approaches... And probably still
0: some work that's technical.
1: Yes. And as the peak approaches, though, the less specific stuff drops out because you know that the heavy work that you're doing is more taxing and you need to build in the recovery. The advanced lifter is exactly like that, except instead of just thinking about that in a phase-dependent way, you also have to think about that phase-to-phase as well and say, I need to dedicate X resources to this, which means I just have less time to dedicate them to Y resources, and then like you know, sorry, dedicate Y resources to Z goal. Um, I've run out of letters; I only know three. So, um... theta. Th- yeah, um, you're what are you? You're a beta. I'm an alpha? Absolutely not. You're an omega male. You're literally like there's alpha, beta, gamma, delta, E for Echo. I don't even know F for Fox. Um, but you're omega male. That's how beta. You are, are. the quintessential beta male better than you at everything except bench (laughs) um so yeah so no you have to start thinking about that on a phase by phase basis as well um yeah you can't do everything at once and then that also comes back to again why phasic structure and having an overarching plan is important is because you're not spending as much time training multiple qualities per phase you probably need to also think about how you're going to string your phases together so that you train the training that you do that is relatively specific still maintains enough of the adaptations that you had prior So, for 99% of lifters in 99% of situations, say during a peak, you're not going to lose muscle. During a strength phase, you're not going to lose muscle because you're doing, in strength phases, you're doing adequate amounts of heavy lifting to provide a maintenance stimulus for muscle. I think it's nonsense when people say they've lost muscle during a strength phase unless they train like shit and actually get weaker. They might have lost a bit of a pump. And during a peak, likewise, you don't really lose much muscle. You have reduced volumes for like two weeks like you're not losing muscle. You might lose a bit of a pump and then you go back to volume work and you think you've blown up from gaining muscle again. You've literally just got a pump with the muscle you already had. With more advanced people though, you might like, if you're having a peak where your volumes are reduced for weeks and weeks and weeks on end, you might lose a little bit of muscle and the trade-off is that you get fresh enough to lift heavier weights and so there's a net benefit. Maybe in strength phases, your volumes might reduce enough that you lose a bit of work capacity and so you might find your recovery capacity in general Reduces later in your peak. And so you need to give some consideration to that. Things like that do matter. You know, when you drop out all of your upper back work way, way, way from a competition, you might actually lose some upper back strength and muscle because it just happens on a longer time scale. So, again, having some more planning in your phasic structure to accommodate the fact that you do have to go a long way from one goal towards the next to do it within that sort of pool of recovery that you have is important um how important probably depends on the person the lifter and the time scale but it's something that you do have to consider is basically your needs are more specialized face to face and the more specialized you are in your training the more trade-offs you have in terms of not chasing other things so this brings me all the way back to what i said there's a cost associated with doing anything so you might as well do nothing at all what do you reckon sounds like a song does sound like a song doesn't it um i don't know i've been thinking a lot about climate change Um, and yeah I don't know I've just been getting really nihilistic like why do anything you know what do you think Alex I don't really have any thoughts on this (laughs) I don't think you have any thoughts most of the time (laughs) ever I reckon you're like one of those cuckoo clocks (laughs) where just every four hours or so it just goes ding can you feed me and then you go back to sleep with Ace Um,
0: Homer Simpson um, you know in that episode where they go inside his brain and it's just the monkeys playing cymbals yeah yeah, that's that's my brain. <laughs>
1: All right. <coughs> um, um, when, how often do we oh compete? Yeah, we kind of touched awesome. on that, but you, why don't you just give us the word? Um, I think for someone who's truly advanced,
0: one to three times a year. Mm-hmm. Um, how many of them are emphasized? One is emphasized. If you do one, if you do one and only one, that's the only one that matters. If you do two, one might be a warm-up comp or just a, another competition experience or it might be a qualifying
1: total. I was going to say, or, I mean, if you have to go to nationals yeah. and win to go to worlds, yeah. you have two comps you have to try in, right? Yeah. And
0: in that case, you probably only do two then. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, or, you know, if you compete in, in GPC and you have to win states to go to nationals and then win nationals to get invited to go to pro or whatever, I don't know exactly how that works. No me either, because GPC, might.
1: they're all grubs. That's <laughs> what it stands for. <laughs> GPC, grubby powerlifting club. Clean club <laughs> yeah no nah, shout out gpc we love you all
0: um none of them listen, yeah, though, so i don't if, think if
1: if you yeah just thomas yeah shout out thomas and shero and shero we love both shout of you And if your podcast out. sucks <laughs> 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 they're actually um, really good hey their yeah, quality. They're,
0: they're they're killing us are they no nah, no they going for total numbers i was gonna like, say how are
1: they going for downloads
0: yeah not as good
1: we're not gonna say the name of their podcast you're gonna have to google thomas and shero and see what comes up yeah
0: Big um yeah, so depending on the level of competition that you're competing at, you might have to do one or two in order to get to that big competition. So that's gonna largely dictate what your competition, um, what your competition timeline or plan would look like. Mm. Um, but generally, there's one which is the main priority, which you know, if you're at a national level, is your nationals. If you're at a world level, is your worlds, um, etc.
1: Yeah, I honestly, I think by the time you're really, really good. I don't see why you need to be exposed to competing more than a couple of times a year to know how to compete. Um, I'd be open to having my mind changed on that if somebody gave me a really good rationale. But like, just as a generalization, you don't need to compete more than once or twice a year. But you do need to spend a lot of time doing work to get better and having your body in line to do the work that you need to get better as well. Yeah, because I've even heard Thomas talk about um,
0: Dylan Hellrigel. I don't know who that is. He's so got a sick name. He's the first guy to squat a thousand pounds and mm. deadlift nine hundred in the same meet. Oh, this is the—he's Aussie, isn't he? Yeah, from Perth. Yeah. He's only twenty-three. That's so crazy. Like, he's obviously already at an advanced level, mm. but he hasn't. His training history isn't like extensive. You know, it's not. He's not like Milanachev in the number of years he's put into the sport, but he's already very close to that level. And Thomas has spoken about, um, I think it was. I think it was pro raw last year. He had him take like pretty much token lifts, and then pro raw this year he only took eight lifts. Didn't take his last deadlift, and because all because he's peaking towards big dogs at the end of this year, really because he wants to win. He wants him to win big dogs.
1: Right. Okay. That's crazy.
0: Um. So like you know, it even it even goes on like a maybe even like a two year plan or even a three year plan if you're at that level. Well, and I mean that the competition is. Yeah, but the Olympics is obviously the the best example of that. Yeah, but that's a
1: quadrennial. Yeah, um, that's actually. Um, so there are some people. I want to get John Keeley on the podcast. Do you know who that is? No. Um, he's a guy, and he's written a couple of really good thinker. Um, he's written a bit about periodization, and like um, one of his thingies, one of his papers is something like like tradition led or evidence based or something like that, um, or science driven or some shit like that, and he like questions questions a lot of what we take to be like just gospel about periodization and then another one's called like periodization and inconvenient truth shout out al gore um (laughs) where um where he talks about like how how you can't necessarily just um just presume that like certain types of mechanical loading will lead to certain adaptations and things and like all the other things that might impact Training. And so, like, basically, he's the type of person who says, like, hey, we put a lot of stock in training planning over the long term, but you can't necessarily say, I'm here now, and in 18 months, I'm going to be exactly there, and this is how you actually need to have a more adaptive approach, and, you know, all these things, which, like, all of which I think we would broadly agree with, but he'd be able to flesh that out really well. But I believe that the whole idea of, like, quadrennial planning originated in, like, Eastern Bloc states, I think, where, like, they'd have a four year plan to basically peak people for the Olympics. And when you think about the idea of doing training where you're literally like everything else between here and, well, not even Tokyo 2020 because that's next year, here. And where's after that? Probably somewhere like third world or really corrupt. It's probably not. (laughs) It's probably like Paris or something, but, you know. But everywhere between here and four years from now is just a stepping stone to that goal. That'd be very daunting to embark on that as a training. Uh, Sorry, as a trainee, you know, um particularly when your training may get derailed by injury or illness or death in the family or something if you've got four years to fill where is it it's
0: paris is it
1: oh there you go good maybe guess, i will go eh? paris is a nice place i might actually you know put my pull my finger out start playing rugby sevens and weightlifting simultaneously and see which one i get good at first what do you think what's the australian weightlifting scene like um i don't know uh I don't think we're going to get any medals um, in the men's but would we even
0: like how does it work in regards to how many uh, like, I think he, spots we even have available I think we suck so we probably only have like
1: I no, think really I think we've in. got... I think we've got a couple of actually okay weightlifting girls. I'm not certain. Like, as in, you know, I think it's Tia Toomey, the yeah, 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 girl. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think she actually went to the she Commonwealth she and won did the okay. Commonwealth Games. Yeah, so she's legit. You know, she's probably not going to win, but, like, she's all right. Um, says so one. Yeah, she's not being um, any I Chinese th- lifters. No, probably not. Um, I think we might... I think you can take six or something. I think they've... We need to get somebody on to talk about weightlifting because there's like eight weight classes or something, or like there's some number of weight classes and then they've compressed the number of weight classes for the Olympic level, which fucks everyone. So like you go to IWF Worlds and I think they still compete on the other, it's confusing, I'm going to have to look this up, but there's weight class controversy, there was talk about booting weightlifting out because of all the drug tests, like all this shit. So I don't even know how many people you can take in the team, what weight classes they compete in, whether it's the same as Worlds, it's all confusing. And in that mire of confusion, I reckon I could Bradbury my way onto the team and go to Paris. What do you think? Can't be that hard, surely. It's pretty much just pick up a barbell. It's exactly like deadlifting. Has anyone seen Will Snatch? (laughs) No, have you? Uh, Did I show you my edit? Uh, Yeah, of course. Yeah, so good. Um, I'm not very good at weightlifting, but I'm going to be there. Paris 2024. The Burke. Anyway,
0: when you get really good at lifting, you don't need to compete as much. (laughs)
1: No, that's true. Um, That's why I'm going to just... Can you you put your feet down? Yeah, sorry, mate. I've got my feet in Alex's face. Bunions in my All right. I want to throw a plot twist in. I've been very on task this podcast. Yeah. I want to throw a plot twist in. Um, And this whole podcast, we've been talking about lifters, but really we should be talking about lifts because most people will reach the level that we might consider advanced on certain lifts before others. Um You know, and like, particularly for intermediates who have like, particular glaring strengths, um, they might have one lift start to bump up against that level where it's like, well, fuck, you know, say you're a really good bench presser. So, you know, Chrissy might be an okay example, but uh, she's maybe not quite there. Maybe like Chad Odsey, who's incredibly good. He's like world record level bench presser. You might be like, well, wow, Like, I got heaps of upper body muscle. I got a really good setup, you know, um, and like, there's not much I can do to get my bench press better. I'm just going to embrace incremental progress while you still have a deadlift that's like, he's, he can deadlift. He's not bad at deadlifting. He can squat pretty well as well, but they're not on the same level as his bench. So his planning considerations for his bench press training are going to have to be more complex than they are for his squat and his deadlift. Yep. And a lot of lifters, before you get to the point where you might treat your entire training planning regime as that of an advanced lifter, are going to have to start thinking about that on a lift-by-lift lift basis a little bit more too. So you might, you might you know, plan longer progressions for certain lifts, have more undulation between heavy and light sessions for certain lifts, do more targeted variation or do more non-specific variation and longer phases away from pushing for PBs on certain lifts. Um, and for certain muscle groups and things because you've really exhausted about everything you've got on them in the short term while the others play catch-up. And that's just part of the reality of being an intermediate is realizing that there are there are certain things that you're just going to get better at first, right?
0: The same thing applies to any of the um, pillars or characteristics or whatever, attributes that we said. The same thing applies. Exactly. If you hit a certain level and you're, you could be considered an advanced lifter but maybe your body composition is lacking.
1: You need to put more pennies into the body composition bank mm. to try and bring that up. But I would argue that that is a case where you can say there is there is still a relatively easy marginal return. I mean, there's nothing easy easy about making big body composition changes, but it's a it's a gaping hole, you know. Yes, but just like <clears throat> just like JP for instance, shout he, out JP Fatty, he, yeah, Fatty.
0: <laughs> He's already like one of the best in the country at squat, one of the best in the country at deadlift, if not the best, mm. and very not good at bench press so there should still be marginal returns there on but the bench press
1: yeah but even his bench press doesn't seem to have really easy marginal returns yes it does he's just going to get way way more jacked. To be bad. <laughs> yeah, well, more jacked less fat yeah well if he was less fat he'd have to bench even further and he's got his stupid fucking robo arms that just go forever
0: he has no chest mass shout out jp
1: no chest his mass chest mass has changed. improved shout out jp for improving your chest mass you're starting at a very low base. Yeah, um, he's, got, he's got a lot of work to do. But yeah, you will... Anyway, my point though is like, otherwise people could have listened to this podcast and been like, wow, that's an amazing insight into the training of someone I'll never be. But in reality, for many of the people listening to this podcast, what you're really going to find is, you know, your squat and then your deadlift will maybe start entering, entering into these realms and your bench will catch up or whatever it happens to be. Your bench will get there and your squat and deadlift will be catching up. But... The important thing is the conceptual lessons is like, what starts to happen when you have less easy marginal returns? How do you have to think about structuring your training to ensure you're getting better over the longer term when it is taking you longer to get better? And how do you have to space out your training doses when each training dose is suddenly much less recoverable than it used to be and you can't just take for granted that you'll get better and there's nothing that you can just say, oh, if only I did this for six weeks, I'd see a really easy return on my bench, say, You know, when you start having to ask those questions about a lift, then you can start thinking of applying these concepts to yourself. And eventually, when you have sort of started to shore up all those weaknesses and you are sort of taking on your form of like the best realized athlete that you can be, then all of your training will have to be like that. But in the short term, you'll probably find some things are first.
0: Yeah? Yeah, of course.
1: Yeah, so there you go. I thought that was a nice plot twist.
0: Yeah, well, it wasn't really a plot twist. It was kind of just bringing everything together.
1: No, well, I like to bring people together. What do you think of that? sure <laughs> sure do you have much more to add
0: um well, let's have a look at our headings over here oh,
1: how I've much said all our them. heavy progression i said all of them
0: uh, what's that say
1: oh don't even worry if you can read my handwriting you're a legend
0: yeah well, i think we've covered everything
1: well i just want to say publicly i'm glad you're back on the podcast oh, that's cute i'm happy to be here. i'm you. sorry to uninvite you from the podcast last week though i really liked doing that episode it was fun Okay, well, sweet. Why would I fucking bother apologizing if you're not, <laughs> not going to accept it? You didn't say sorry. So right. I'm
0: happy to have you back.
1: And then I said I'm sorry for uninviting you last week. You weren't actually sorry. You no, I'm you. not sorry at all, but I just thought it'd be a nice thing to say just to finish the podcast on the same note we started it. Yeah. All right, whatever. Um, we'll be back next so... week. What are we going to talk about next week? I have an idea, actually. I'll tell you off air. Okay. All right? Um,
0: so that's part three of programming the blank.
1: Yeah, of six. We'll
0: be back with four, five, and six in the mm-hmm. next few weeks four the squat five the bench six the deadlift
1: Mm-hmm. can't wait for episode five again what remember when we did fixing the bench and I was just in my element oh right
0: but this yeah. is programming the bench
1: oh yeah still in my element no I love bench it's good yeah bench is mad yeah yeah. No, I'm getting better at it I've been doing a lot of thinking about bench can't wait to share it with you all in four weeks ish 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 right chat you guys next week